I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A deadly organism lurks all around us. When it strikes, it's the biggest parasitic outbreak ever recorded. There were about 101 deaths. We knew something besides the ordinary was going on. A hidden killer attacks a man's brain. When others get the same symptoms, doctors race against time to stop it. We are dealing with the largest outbreak of this particular parasite in the Western Hemisphere. And a skin-eating monster rages through a Texas community. Clearly, what we understood previously about where it was endemic may no longer be true. Three very different parasites, but they all have one thing in common. When they enter a human population, they get out of control, cutting down victim after victim in a deadly outbreak. Worms invisible to the human eye. Insects thirsty for blood. Microscopic amoeba. They might look harmless, but these are some of nature's deadliest creatures. They can hijack our bodies, disable our immune systems. They are parasites. But to those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Parasites are among the oldest, most abundant organisms on the planet. They survive by feeding off their living hosts and give almost nothing in return. For most parasites, survival depends on getting into or onto a host. And a host is another organism that will give them food, shelter, and a place to reproduce. The challenge is how to infect the host. Some hide in the food that their hosts eat. Others sit lurking in the environment waiting to be picked up. And some even hijack other organisms to deliver them to the host they need to get to. And when the most successful parasites make their way into a population and spread, the result is an outbreak. April 2000, Chicago. 23-year-old medical student Patrick Bradley is returning home from spring break. He doesn't know it, 
but he is about to enter the nightmare world of parasitic infection. I get back to Chicago, I'm starting to feel that something's not exactly right, especially on the backside of my body, like my neck's getting a little stiff and uh, my back felt sore. At first, Patrick isn't really worried. I'd played basketball the day before, and I'm starting to think that maybe I need to hit the gym a little bit more often now because my back's really feeling sore. But as Patrick's symptoms increase, it becomes clear. This is no sports injury. So as the week went on, I started to feel worse and worse. And the most distressing thing was this headache all of a sudden came on. And it started out being like the kind of headache you'd have if you had a real bad 24-hour flu. With the headaches only getting worse, Patrick seeks medical attention. I went to see the doctor that I'd always gone to growing up, and he suggested that I'd take some painkillers to try to deal with the headache. But the painkillers have no effect. The headache is just the most extreme headache, bar none, I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, It's to the point where uh, I really was almost wishing it would just be over. By now, Patrick's pain is unbearable. Unable to do the simplest things, he goes to stay with his parents, where his condition nosedives. I had an episode where I would um, just laying on the couch um, with my head in my pillow and my eyes closed because that's really the only way I could even just like sort of tolerate breathing. And all of a sudden I just like sat up and projectile vomited sort of out of the exorcist. Shocked by their son's condition, Patrick's parents rush him to the emergency room. On call is Dr. Stuart Johnson. Patrick has come to the ER and is extremely distressed. He has a headache that's been slowly building over the last several days. When I first got into the emergency room, the doctors were trying to get me to move my neck. Does that bother you? Stiff. Okay. And to describe my symptoms, and the only thing I could utter is headache, headache. At this point, I'm thinking that it's got to be some kind of meningitis because I can hardly move my neck. And Dr. Johnson agrees. The suspicion is that he has uh, meningitis. Meningitis is an inflammation of the lining of the brain. It's usually caused by a viral or bacterial infection. In its bacterial form, it's highly contagious and can be spread by coughs and sneezes. Left untreated, it's fatal. The critical part of this is to discern whether this is a bacterial process or not. To find out what is causing Patrick's meningitis, they test his spinal fluid. They asked me to get in a fetal position. I was kind of grabbing my uh, knees with my hands curled up in a ball and sort of exposing my backside. And they stabbed me just below my spinal cord to collect some of the fluid that's around my brain and spinal cord. The liquid is collected in a tube called a manometer that measures the pressure of the spinal fluid. The higher the pressure, the greater the swelling in the brain. It was amazing. This pressure was rising above the first stem of the manometer, and we watched the pressure go over the top of the tube. I've never seen a cerebral spinal pressure uh, to this degree. And when Dr. Johnson examines it, 
he is amazed at what he sees. The surprising thing is the high percentage of a particular type of white cell in the cerebral spinal fluid, namely eosinophils. Eosinophils are white blood cells produced by the body's immune system specifically to combat parasitic infections. Patrick has meningitis, but it isn't caused by a bacteria or a virus. It's caused by one of the deadliest parasites on the planet. The most common cause of eosinophilic meningitis is infection with rat lungworm. I remember Dr. Johnson telling us that I'd been infected with a parasitic worm and that that parasitic worm was in my brain. I was shocked. I was terrified. The rat lungworm is one of the most feared parasites on the planet. Though rat lungworm cases have appeared in the continental U.S., most infections occur in Hawaii and other tropical islands. So where did Patrick get it? Patrick tells Dr. Johnson that he was part of a group of students that recently visited Jamaica. When Dr. Johnson calls the other students, he makes an alarming discovery. We have an additional nine students that have the very same symptoms. This is not an isolated case. This is an outbreak. Although it's not contagious, Dr. Johnson needs to find the source of the outbreak so that he can alert other potential victims. We are dealing with the largest outbreak of this particular parasite in the Western Hemisphere. Twelve students, right, we think, meet the case definition. So it's very important that we get a handle on this as quickly as we can. Dr. Johnson and his team start to question the six students. A series of interviews were conducted asking where they'd been, what they've eaten, because we know this is a foodborne illness. All the interviews point in one direction. It was very apparent after a short period of time that one particular restaurant meal the night before they left Jamaica was highly implicated. All the patients that were sick had eaten the Caesar salad. So what was wrong with the Caesar salad? The answer lies in the rat lungworm's life cycle. The adult worm lays its eggs inside the lungs of a rat. The eggs hatch into larvae. The larvae are coughed up from the rat's lungs and swallowed back into its stomach. Then they are expelled in the rat's feces and are eaten by a second host, a slug or a snail. When the snail is eaten by a rat, the life cycle is repeated. The most probable cause of the outbreak was that an infected slug or snail was accidentally chopped up in the unwashed lettuce. In the Caesar salad, on the unwashed lettuce were snails or slugs that had the worm inside it. Of all the six students, Patrick's case is the most severe. As he lies in agony in the hospital, the parasitic worms chart a horrific course through his body. The larvae hatch inside his stomach, then burrow into his bloodstream. They travel in the blood to the edge of the brain. There, they burst through the brain's defensive lining. Inside the brain, the larvae grow into adult worms. But when the worms try to get back into the bloodstream, they get stuck and die in the brain lining, causing it to swell. The body's own immune system is attacking the worm 
And this is causing a, a huge inflammatory response in the covering of the brain. In the case of the rat lung worm, the infection is damaging the body in two ways. First, the worms are burrowing through the body and that causes hemorrhaging and bleeding and tissue damage. And second, your body is attacking these organisms and that causes swelling and that swelling can be a problem when it presses up against vital organs like the brain and that can be deadly. Patrick's immune system is working overtime to kill the worms, but instead it's killing him. It was really getting to be a grim scenario. The doctors were sort of running out of options. And time is running out. Not only is Patrick in imminent danger, but the other students aren't far behind. In Chicago, 23-year-old medical student Patrick Bradley is one victim in a deadly outbreak. A parasite called the rat lungworm has caused the lining of his brain to swell and press against his skull, giving Patrick a severe case of meningitis. On the forefront of our minds is the thought that Patrick might die if we killed the larvae that might lead to increasing the inflammation. Instead of fighting the worms, the doctors must attack Patrick's own immune system. It was controlling the immune response, which was critical to, to managing his symptoms. The doctors give Patrick a large dose of steroids to reduce the inflammation. The steroids toned down the immune response. This was quite effective in decreasing his symptoms. I wasn't sure it was gonna work, but I'm feeling so much relief. The next morning when I walked in Patrick's room, it was like he had never been ill. After three weeks, all the worms are dead, and the steroid treatment has reduced the swelling in Patrick's brain. Patrick and the other students are cured. The outbreak is over. Today, Patrick is symptom-free and refuses to let the experience hold him back. If I'm ever overseas again, I think I would be somewhat more cautious about what I would eat, and I'm, I'm not going to, you know... You'd be scared. I mean, that would be like letting the worms win. It's worth remembering that for a lot of these parasites that end up in the human brain, humans are not their target. So when they do end up there, it's a disaster for the parasite just as much as it's a disaster for the human. The rat lungworm prefers rats or snails and slugs. But when it does get into a human population, that's when an outbreak occurs. Parasites like the rat lungworm thrive in places where sanitation is lacking. But that doesn't mean that developed areas are parasite-free. In the developed world, we've gotten so good at hygiene and sanitation that we almost forget the parasites are there. But they are there, and they're waiting. And all it takes is one slip-up, and we've got an outbreak. As one Midwestern city is about to find out. 1992. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Population 1.4 million. Could one man's death be a sign of a disaster to come? Danny Babb is caring for his longtime friend, Jonathan Polarski. Jonathan and I were inseparable. I mean, we were closer than a brother. But later that summer, Jonathan begins to get sick. 
uh, when I first started noticing the symptoms, they started with night sweats uh, and weight loss. These symptoms don't come as a surprise. In fact, both Danny and Jonathan have been preparing for this moment for some time. I had known he had AIDS for at least uh, four years. With AIDS, the body's immune system barely functions at all, leaving it highly susceptible to infections. Initially, I thought Jonathan's symptoms were due simply to having the AIDS virus until the other symptoms started to appear. By August, what began as night sweats and weight loss becomes crippling stomach cramps and unrelenting diarrhea. It was like he didn't have enough, even enough holes in his body to extract the waste. And I started pressing him to try to get some, you know, some kind of professional assistance. Jonathan agrees to go to the hospital. After a few days, the pain becomes unbearable. Uh, his whole body was turning to waste. He grew hysterical about being touched. Uh, he, uh, he was in such severe pain that he was praying, you know, to die. Three days after being admitted to the hospital, Jonathan's prayer is answered. He went into shock. The pain was so severe. I really knew then that we were waiting for the final moment. Uh, On August 3, 1992, Jonathan Polarski dies. At the time, it seems that he is another victim of the AIDS virus. But the real killer is about to go on a rampage throughout the entire city. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When AIDS patient Jonathan Polarski dies, everyone assumes his death is solely due to the HIV virus. What they don't know is that the same parasite that killed Jonathan is about to launch an attack on the city. April 1993, six months after Jonathan's death. On the south side of Milwaukee, infectious disease specialist Dr. Ian Gilson notices something strange in the HIV-positive community. We had a group of patients, maybe 20 to 25 patients, who were severely immunosuppressed with AIDS, who occupied more and more of our time because they were so sick and had such medical needs. And just like Jonathan, all of Dr. Gilson's patients are suffering from crippling diarrhea. We'd use standard anti-diarrheal medications. We'd use things like Imodium and Lomotil and fluid and electrolyte replacement, but it just didn't stop. To make matters worse, the number of extremely sick patients begins to increase. Dr. Gilson sends a report of his findings to the city of Milwaukee's health commissioner, Paul Nannis. But Gilson is not the only one to raise the alarm. We had set up a system where the health department would receive lab results from a couple of local hospitals. And we started to notice that that morning we were getting lots of lab reports of patients presenting cold, flu-like symptoms. But not all the new cases are HIV sufferers. In fact, most of them involve people who are otherwise perfectly healthy. We began to tally the number of folks that were anecdotally reported to us as ill, and it started out as hundreds. Nanus begins to suspect a citywide outbreak, but of what? As we began to see kind of the volume, the magnitude of the of the reports that were coming in, we knew something besides the ordinary was going on. That evening, Nanis and his team begin to map out where people are getting sick. And they immediately see a pattern in one specific section of the city. And we could see a concentration of illness on the south side. The health department orders blood and stool samples to be taken from the sickest patients. Is there anything unusual about these samples? The blood tests come back clear, but tests on the stool samples reveal the culprit. Each sample contains traces of a potentially deadly parasite. Nanus can't believe what the lab technician is telling him. He looked at him and he saw in all eight of the samples that he had, he found cryptosporidium. Cryptosporidium is a highly infectious and potentially deadly parasite. When ingested, it attaches to the lining of the small bowel. There, it multiplies and attacks the intestine. As the parasite spreads, the body attempts to flush it out, and this reaction results in diarrhea. Nanus needs to act quickly to stem the outbreak, 
and immediately turns his attention to the city's water supply. We had a water plant, one that served the north side of Milwaukee and one that served the south side of Milwaukee. But since the outbreak seems to be confined to one side of the city, he zeroes in on the prime suspect, the south side's Howard Avenue water purification plant. We began to look at the records of water quality from the south side plant. We noticed there was an incident, a spike in what we call turbidity. Turbidity is a measure of the cloudiness or haziness of drinking water, resulting from the presence of unwanted particles like dirt, chemicals, or parasites. In Milwaukee, the spike in turbidity levels began three weeks earlier. We didn't know why, but we at least knew it was the water plant. Let's shut it down. Faced with the worst parasitic outbreak in U.S. history, the city shuts down the south side water plant, leaving half a million residents without running water. But the move comes too late. The parasite has already infected almost half the city's residents. I think it was something like 400 to 500,000 people got the diarrhea in our urban area. That's something like 40% of all people in the Milwaukee area. For most of the city's residents, the symptoms caused by cryptosporidium are mild. Doctors prescribe anti-diarrhea pills, and after a week, most victims recover. The vast majority of people who were not severely immunocompromised, virtually all of them recovered. But for people with weakened immune systems, the outlook is grim. The ones who had extremely damaged immune systems found it very difficult to recover. When confronted by a weakened immune system, cryptosporidium multiplies over and over again. While some cryptosporidium is washed away, most of it stays and continues to multiply and line the stomach walls. By lining the stomach walls, cryptosporidium prevents the body from absorbing nutrients. The constant diarrhea pushes the nutrients out of the body, eventually causing malnutrition and death. There were about 101 deaths, and almost all of the patients that died had HIV or AIDS. So this was a huge incident for the uh, HIV-AIDS community. While the shutdown of the water plant prevents any new cases, the health commissioner must still solve the most pressing question. What was the cause? Milwaukee's water purification plants rely on large doses of chlorine to clean the incoming water and make it drinkable. But in this case, the treatment isn't strong enough. Cryptosporidium is an incredible parasite. It's very tough. So chlorine kills most stuff that gets into the water. But not even chlorine can kill cryptosporidium. Cryptosporidium has a protective coating that allows it to withstand chlorine-based cleaning systems, and that's how it got into Milwaukee's drinking water. On April 10th, the city orders a thorough examination of the Southside treatment plant. But when they test the water in the plant, the cryptosporidium is gone. The turbidity levels are back to normal. Nanus is stumped. By the time we had discovered that people were getting sick and that we identified the agent of infection as cryptosporidium, we weren't able to find crypto in the water plants. 
By the next week, there are no more new cases. Nanus and his team are convinced that the parasitic cloud must have passed through the water system and is now completely gone. Finally, because we had consecutive clean readings from the lab that the water was clean, we lifted the advisory and we knew at least we were over that stage. For Milwaukee's Southside residents, life soon returns to normal. But the biggest question still remains, where did the cryptosporidium come from? For years following the 1993 outbreak, no one knows. Until now. One scientist believes he knows what caused the biggest parasitic outbreak in U.S. history. More than a decade after tainted water infected 400,000 Milwaukee residents with a killer parasite, the source of the infection remains a mystery. For City Health Commissioner Paul Nannis, the prime suspects have long been local cattle. Cryptosporidium is extremely common in cattle, so it's very plausible that runoff from a farm could carry cryptosporidium and put it into a water supply. We had a lot of snow, a lot of runoff. A lot of runoff came from those dairy farms. The prevailing theory is that melting snow accelerated the runoff of contaminated cattle feces. This could have caused a mass of cryptosporidium to flow into the rivers that feed the water system. But one scientist has his doubts and keeps investigating. And now, 15 years later, Dr. Ronald Fayer of the USDA believes he knows the real cause of the Milwaukee outbreak. Cryptosporidium a few years ago was considered a single species. But new DNA-based testing has shown that there are different species of cryptosporidium. Fayer thinks this technology can help find the source of the Milwaukee outbreak. Fortunately, stool samples from the 1993 outbreak still exist. Feces from humans that were infected with cryptosporidium uh, were saved. So Dr. Fayer and his team put the stool samples through the newly developed molecular test. They are hoping to solve the mystery of America's deadliest parasitic outbreak once and for all. The results are shocking. It was found that the molecular fingerprint matched a species called Cryptosporidium hominis. Cattle don't carry Cryptosporidium hominis, but humans do. Cryptosporidium hominis is a species that uh, is transmitted from human to human to human. Cattle are not involved in that cycle. So, in effect, we have found that that humans were the source of the human infection based on the molecular methods that became available after that time. Using Dr. Fayer's findings, one leading theory has emerged as to what caused the outbreak. In late March 1993, an isolated sewage leak could have released a cloud of cryptosporidium-infected human feces into the rivers that feed Milwaukee's water system. The parasitic cloud would have caused the spike in turbidity at the Southside plant before infecting the drinking water. By early April, when the turbidity levels had returned to normal and no further cases were reported, the mass would have cleared the system. Since 1993, Milwaukee has taken steps to ensure a similar outbreak never happens again. The only 
agent that kills cryptosporidium is ozone. And that led to both of those plants being upgraded to an ozone cleaning process, which leaves us today with the cleanest water in the country. And 15 years after the death of his best friend, Jonathan, Danny Babb has a new mission in life, keeping Milwaukee's residents safe. I am now presently employed at the water plant. Uh, and this has been one of my concerns that we put out the best water that we possibly can. While the Milwaukee incident highlighted the dangers of a mass parasitic outbreak and caused some states to take preventative action, cryptosporidium continues to threaten water supplies in the U.S. Ozone treatment reduces the amount of cryptosporidium in drinking water, but it doesn't completely destroy all of it. On average, there are 10 cryptosporidium parasites in every 10 gallons of New York drinking water. But at this concentration, it rarely causes illness. Part of the reason cryptosporidium is so successful is because it has a great strategy. It uses water to get to its host. By using water as a means of infection, cryptosporidium is able to infect large populations very quickly. They're able to spread through large geographic areas. So water works well for cryptosporidium. Some parasites use a different method. They use animals to transport them to their next host. Weldon Hatch is a 59-year-old delivery driver living 30 miles south of Dallas, Texas, in the small town of Waxahachie. Waxahachie is a, a rural town. We've lived here 20 years. I'm a Texas master naturalist, so we do lots of projects out in the country all over North Texas. I like being outside, see things grow. But Weldon's life is about to become the center of a medical mystery. The first thing I noticed in late November, two very bright red spots on my back, and they itched a little. It was as painful as probably a burn is when it's trying to heal, like something maybe piercing your skin. Well, its first thought was an insect sting or bite. But after a few weeks, the red marks are still there. Uh, you could see the volume was increasing in size like a small balloon even in your skin, and they were uh, rounded, smooth, bright red. I left it alone. It was too unique and different to think about experimenting on, so I didn't put anything on it. But before long, the sores become impossible to ignore. Being in a van or driving, I'd have to sit sideways so I wouldn't lean against it. I couldn't lay on my back. I had to sleep on my side on my stomach because if you laid on your back and put too much weight, it instantly pushed on him and uh, it was very uncomfortable. Four weeks after he first noticed the sores, Weldon finally seeks medical attention. Weldon's doctor tells him he has a bacterial infection and prescribes a two-week course of antibiotics. Yeah, that felt a good solution to me and uh, a lot of times a prescription will work better than anything you can do at home. So. I felt good for it. But two weeks later, Weldon isn't feeling so good. I applied those things twice a day, and they didn't do anything. Being an intelligent doctor, she decided it was beyond her scope of uh, treatment and uh, was wanting to refer it to someone else that might know more. Weldon's doctor refers him to a dermatologist in Dallas named Dr. Kent Aftergut. When we first saw the non-healing sores, our first thought that this was most likely something infectious, such as atypical mycobacteria or other unusual bacteria. 
If you're not sure what it is, or you want to see what could be causing the problem, one easy way to do it is to take a piece of the skin, what we call a skin biopsy. Dr. Clay Cockrell runs a dermatologic pathology lab in Dallas. When he tests Weldon's skin sample, he sees something odd. You see these cells that are very pale, and they contain these little small round structures, and they tend to line up around the periphery of these cells. It almost looks kind of like a Ferris wheel. The Ferris wheel shape is the trademark of a deadly flesh-eating parasite. Dallas, Texas. Pathologist Dr. Clay Cockrell has found something unusual in Weldon Hatch's skin sample. The ferris wheel-shaped cells are a sign that Weldon's skin is home to a flesh-eating parasite. We were able to tell by looking at it that it was characteristic of leishmaniasis. Leishmaniasis is a single-celled protozoan parasite which attacks the skin. It causes terrible sores that the body finds almost impossible to heal. If the sores get infected, the victim can die. The Leishmaniasis parasite is extremely successful because it can feed off of a whole bunch of different kinds of animals. In fact, all it needs is something with skin. Dr. Aftergut calls Weldon with the diagnosis. He called me up and just said, uh, we think it's this parasite and uh, we're going to determine how to treat it. There was some anxiety to a little degree. But the successful diagnosis creates another mystery. More than 90% of the world's cases of leishmaniasis occur in the Middle East and Asia. The remaining 10% are in Latin America, ranging from northern Argentina to northern Mexico. So how did a man from the middle of Texas suddenly get this tropical skin parasite? One of the first questions the doctor after God had was, had I been out of the country? Because it's not a common thing here, so... How did I get it? But Weldon hasn't left the country in over 30 years. With no evidence of Weldon having traveled, the doctors arrive at a chilling conclusion. So once we really talked to him a second time, we became convinced that he had gotten it in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. We were very surprised and a little bit alarmed. Clearly, what we understood previously about leishmaniasis and where it was endemic may no longer be true. Could a deadly flesh-eating parasite be lurking just outside Dallas, Texas? A city of six million people. Dr. Aftergut decides to raise his concerns at a conference of local dermatologists. Our patient was a very interesting case, and I wanted to bring him to see if there were other cases. Uh, Dr. Cockrell was at that meeting, and Dr. Cockrell said maybe we've seen a couple. Weldon's is not an isolated case. Are the doctors looking at an outbreak? We started calling out all the cases we'd seen over the last few years. It made us think that we really had something that was important. The doctors put together a research team to discover if leishmaniasis is now endemic to northern Texas. After extensive research, the team uncovers 29 new cases of leishmaniasis in the north Texas area. We contacted each patient and basically spoke with them and determined what exactly was their travel history and if they'd left the area. To their amazement, they discover that nine of the victims, like Weldon, have never left the state. Searching for a link, the scientists plot each new case on a map. Was it uh, urban areas? Was it suburban areas? Was it people near a river, near a lake? Uh, all those things we looked at. 
The only connection is where they really lived in the same general geographic area. The doctor's suspicions are confirmed. The leishmaniasis parasite is loose in North Texas. One man thinks he knows how the parasite is spreading. Dr. Russell Raymond is an expert in leishmaniasis. Rodents are a common reservoir of leishmaniasis in other parts of the world, so it's a natural place to start looking. Dr. Raymond heads out into the countryside to trap wood rats. This looks like a good place to put the traps. You can see that the rodents have obviously been active in this area from eating on the cactus. Having chosen the spot, he sets the traps and returns later to see what he's got. Dr. Raymond coaxes the rat into a mesh cone to keep it still. Using a skin punch, he takes a tiny sample of the rat's ear. With the skin sample in hand, Dr. Raymond releases the rat. Back in the lab, Dr. Raymond prepares the skin samples. Here's that little piece of tissue biopsy that we took from the rodent's ear out in the field. This test, called a PCR, will show if there is leishmaniasis DNA in the wood rat skin sample. Now for the results. We'll see if our rat was infected. And this white band shows us an infected wood rat. The tests prove that the leishmaniasis parasite is being carried by wood rats. But a piece of the puzzle is still missing. Now, the wood rat doesn't transmit the parasite directly to humans. There's an intermediate at play here, and insects are very common transmitters of disease. But which insect is responsible for spreading the parasite? In Texas, Dr. Russell Raymond is on the trail of an insect that's transmitting the flesh-eating parasite leishmaniasis. He starts by making a house call at the den of a wood rat. Dr. Raymond puts tube traps into the den. He hopes to snare the insects that are cohabitating with the wood rat. What we'll do is place it in the nest opening so that when the insects come out, uh, they have to enter the trap. In the lab, Dr. Raymond examines his catch, a tiny insect known as the sandfly. Sandflies are critical to the life of this parasite. If the insect is infected, the parasite will show up in the sandfly's midgut. Okay, and she is infected. The parasite multiplies in the midgut of a sandfly. When the fly bites a human, the parasite enters the blood. White blood cells attack the intruders, but the parasite fights back and hijacks the white blood cells. The parasite multiplies inside the white blood cells, then bursts out and attacks the surrounding skin cells. When a sandfly bites an infected human, the cycle starts all over again. The sandfly is a key element for any outbreak of leishmaniasis. A sandfly is about a third the size of a mosquito and it's extremely aggressive. It will feed off of dogs, cows, horses, it doesn't care. 
in Texas, humans become infected when they get into that transmission cycle and the infected fly bites the human instead of another rat. This is exactly how Weldon Hatch got leishmaniasis. Weldon has now had the lesions on his back for over two months. The best treatment is to surgically remove them. In his office, Dr. Aftergut cuts the lesions off Weldon's back. We gave him an oral medication called fluconazole that has been shown to have some activity against leishmaniasis just to ensure that this wasn't going to come back. The other eight patients in Texas were treated with drugs and underwent surgery. They have all recovered. Now that doctors in North Texas are aware of the leishmaniasis threat, they can be on the lookout. It is something that patients and doctors need to be aware of. When they see a non-healing sore, it's important they consider leishmaniasis as part of the diagnosis. The best way to avoid sand fly bites is to use insect repellent and cover up at dusk and at dawn. Today, despite the risks involved, Weldon Hatch is determined to continue the work he loves. Well, I'm out and about still. I'm not gonna stay in the house. So if I went in an area that had this uh, fly, I could go into it again and get stung again. It's something to think about, so you keep your insect spray handy. 12 million people in the world have leishmaniasis, and every year, one and a half million new people get the disease. The leishmaniasis parasite is so good at infecting people because it's picked a great way of getting to them, and that's the sand fly. Anytime you see an increase in the population of sand flies in an area, you're going to get an increase in the number of leishmaniasis outbreaks. By sweeping through a human population, leishmaniasis is only doing what all parasites are biologically driven to do, reproduce and spread from host to host. Whether it's by hitching a ride on an insect or moving through the water, the ultimate goal of any parasite is to get to more hosts. So while a parasitic outbreak is bad news for humans, it's a mark of how successful and how cunning the parasites are. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.